Hi, I'm your host, Connor Byrne, and welcome back to That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. Today, I'm joined by Colin Lewis, who is a speaker and consultant with over 25 years hands-on international experience. Colin's worked across the globe in the UK, Australia, Hong Kong, Indonesia, Egypt, and Japan. He's worked with blue chip and NASDAQ listed travel, tech, sports, and telco brands, including brands such as 11.8.11.8, Thomas Cook, BMI British Midland, Stobart Air, and CityJet. He's also worked for VC-funded e-commerce startups. Colin is also a regular columnist for Marketing Week since 2016. In today's episode, we talk about how Colin started to figure out with his career what his MO was how he found his career came in waves and as he looked, how it seems to come in waves for lots of other people and what that means for us as we think about our marketing careers. We talk about thinking as marketers, what is the core thing about what you do, what is your unique ability and what do you come out of the factory with? Colin, thanks a million for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. Great great to have you as a guest. Uh, thank you for asking me. I'm looking forward to it. Well, listen, I've obviously in the intro kind of given people a bit of a an overview of your, your career. Um, it's been an incredibly exciting career with lots of kind of ups and downs. But from your career, I'd love to ask you kind of as you are in kind of this coaching and, and mentoring kind of part of your, your career now, what are some of the core marketing beliefs that you've carried through? Oh, that's a good question. I've always called my the, any of the coaching and workshop stuff I do is my sort of side hustle that I developed over the years. Uh, and <laughs> we'll come back to that. The question of core marketing beliefs is is, is a great question because um, what I would say is I didn't have any. I would go and say for the first, I don't know, maybe 10 years of career, career I was just trying to carve out a niche, carve out something. And because a lot of that, obviously, I was in my 20s, but I lived for eight years in Australia and Asia. And so I was kind of away from you know friends and family at home, and I had to kind of carve this kind of niche in my life out. So if you were to ask me this at age, whatever, say 30, I would have said, what's my core marketing beliefs? I just would have said, work hard. That would have been about it, yeah. And yeah, I, I had no sort of like, <laughs> I had no sort of like, you know, framing of life and how to think about things. And the one benefit of getting older is, is that I've started kind of thinking through what's your sort of, uh, what's your MO? What's yeah. the core thing about what you do? And I, I would encourage your listenership to think this through and say, what do I stand for? What do, well, who am I? What am I doing? And uh, I, I have a few, I've got three, maybe four that I would say that are now my core marketing beliefs. But I want to give you the origin story of those core marketing beliefs. And it comes down to the point you said at the outset, which is careers have a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. And essentially, the frame I use is careers move in sine waves. And we think when we're 30 that they're onwards and upwards, you know, straight to the moon. Uh, but then what happens, uh, and having done a lot of research and talking to people on this, the kind of downward sign of the sine wave, if you will, a curve of the sine wave comes, comes down typically at some stage in the early 30s. Happened to me, happens to lots of people. Yeah. Maybe there's an uptick towards mid to late 30s and then stuff happens and there's a downturn and it, it's just, it's just, that's all human life. And what I found was during those kind of down periods, it was like, well, who am I? What am I actually doing here? What, what, what sort of roles am I looking for? Why am I getting roles if I'm looking for a specific role? And so as a result of this, I've got kind of these sort of kind of beliefs, if you will. And so 
The first one is this concept called unique ability. We are told when we're kids um, to focus on our weaknesses. When we went to school, we're told to focus on our weaknesses. Yeah. And a friend of mine, Paul, years ago said to me, um, Colin, you should focus on your, on your strengths, not your weaknesses. And I was looking at him and go, what are you talking about? I have no idea. And then I realized I've been brainwashed is that the thing that we need to work on in our careers is the weaknesses to improve. And then when we do our kind of like our discussions with our boss about what we're going to do that year, we talk about weaknesses. <sighs> what you want to be doing is thinking through what I call unique ability. I've spent a lot of time getting training and coaching myself and the concept of unique ability comes from a, a person called dan sullivan who runs a program called strategic coach and in it it's a what is unique ability it's not the thing you're good at that's that's good but the thing that you come from the factory with the thing that you find incredibly easy but everybody you go and say well that's easy everybody can do that and nobody else can do that it's the thing that people told you you were able to do ever since you were a kid so it's not like I'm good at Excel spreadsheets. No, no, it's like an ability you to make people laugh or you were. Yeah, yeah. It's an ability to engage with people no matter who, who, what level they're at. They're, it's an ability to do pattern recognition. It's maybe an incredible memory. It's, it's whatever. It's a combination of things. Yeah. It's never just one thing. And I'll give you an example of a unique ability. So, uh, uh, most people who know me would have gone and said when I was younger that I had no unique traits whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, the fact that I'm talking about this is a bizarre. Oh, unremarkable. Sort of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unremarkable. You know, uh, I, the fact I also write for a column for Marketing Week uh, magazine and um, I've been doing it for years. And I have to say, if Father Staunton of the Maris Fathers knew that I was writing, <laughs> he would laugh when he saw my leaving my final school results kind of thing. Anyway, back to unique ability. So the question I put to the audience is, what what's the thing you came from the factory with? Well, I remember at the age of seven, I was a very small, skinny little kid, and we were forced to play rugby in the freezing cold winter of Ireland. And I was this little kid getting crushed to death every time I played. There was no skins or under armor or any of that stuff there. Yeah, none of that stuff. None of that fancy, fancy stuff. even a gun you know, shield. It was just yeah. like, it was just, uh, there was just shorts that were big enough for four people and a, and a top that were two people. And, uh, and me, like, carrying a teeth. So I developed an ability to basically hold my own with you know my my, my lip basically you know, it's, no i couldn't fight so i have to be able to talk and then of course the second part of that is well i come from a family uh, an irish family where uh, as with all irish families you had to be kind of able to hold your own at any family parties because uh, they would pick on you to have to have your thing ready yeah and um uh, and, and and then of course I got into it the professional world and in uh, working in Sydney for Thomas Cook, we used to have a, uh, a lot of um, new staff coming on board, but they would uh, omit to tell me that I was doing the, the induction that day, most weeks that was on. And I would have like 30 seconds to walk into a room and come up with something. And I sounded like I knew what I was talking about. Yeah. But now I look at all that and I go, Oh, actually I was actually quite good at doing this kind of a pattern recognition, B combining words together to make them sound coherent and C being very persuasive with others. Well, if I'd have known that I would have buried double down on that from a long time ago, it turns out it is my unique ability and it turns out people have been telling me for years, but I just ignore them. How do you, how do you go recognizing that? Cause I think it's very true as you, kind of get older it's easier to reflect and you probably have the opportunity of having maybe a coach or a mentor or somebody who helps you pick that apart and kind of go actually this is a unique ability but if you're maybe you know you know 
younger, starting out in your career, some of those opportunities actually don't come to you to have that right. coach. And so how do you maybe, so well, listening I'll give you an to this, example think about that. How Dan Sullivan talks about it. He goes and says, um, and, and I used some of the language there. He said, what do you think you come from the factory with? Typically, we don't know. So you actually have to ask other people and kind yeah. of join the dots as well. And I have a friend who I've known since I was you know, a kid, and he still says the same thing to me. Stop. He 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 doesn't use the word persuasive. Um, it's kind of like he 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 just thinks I'm always on in terms of communicating, and he does. I mean, I use a little more fruity language than what I'm saying here. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> He's like, it, it involves shut that mm, up and whatever, you know. So it was kind of like I I should have known I was quite persuasive and articulate, but nobody ever told me that. Yeah, and maybe it comes through these hints from other people. It comes from hints that. Well, I should have known after I'd done a hundred inductions over th- four years and I don't need notes that I could possibly speak on stage without any notes. I could possibly run workshops. I could possibly run training courses for people and find it really easy. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. I was marketing director for a major travel tech firm actually here in Dublin with clients all over the globe. They're very big in China. So we ran a lot of conferences in China and across Europe. And my chief exec is a great guy. Um, uh, he would say, say, you know, uh, Kieran, you know, here's what I want you to say at the opening bit and blah, blah, blah. And he would have all the written notes, including, you know, Kieran, uh, hello, my name is Kieran. And he could not get over the fact that I would be walking on the stage going, what am I talking about here? You're talking about, you know, uh, acquisition, conversion of attention. Oh, okay, great. Let's talk. Uh, so it's obvious, but I would think it's so easy that everybody can do this. So what's the thing you yeah. find easy? that everybody else doesn't and you will have it because everybody's unique like that yeah you need to probably take a you know again anyone listening kind of almost dedicate some time to taking a step back and start to think about it no matter what stage you're at you, you and it actually improves if you if you have a skill that you're good at and then you double down on that skill um so in my case it's kind of a little bit kind of around speaking and talking and uh, and coaching Actually, you get better at it as well. So there's another reason to do it. Yeah. I, I had to speak at a, as a keynote yesterday at somebody, and uh, I got I really found it very easy and very enjoyable, and they loved it. And my lack, my preparation was very little, considering you know what we were doing. But of course, it was 30 years of preparation. Yes, but in yeah. principle, yeah. So the audience, one of the things that uh, Dan Sullivan recommends is you actually write to people, which is a bit American and possibly a bit cheesy. But he actually writes to people and say, what do you think I'm particularly good at? And what do you think I come from the factory with? So it could be worth asking staff, people you work with, family, not family so much, but like objective friends, not like the sort of abusive friends that I have who just, you know, you know shout at me in the pub and stuff. Yeah, you need to, I agree with you. You need to get people who you, who you trust to be honest with you, right? And, 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 in a, and I've, I've actually done this before. Um, and I handpicked people who I knew would be really yeah. honest. And, and actually sometimes some of the things, you know, cause I was probably doing a bit of both, what it, the good and maybe where are the areas I can focus on. And I had to be really, I guess, mindful of what I was about to read that came back, right? Because some of it is hard because, you know, maybe it's an Irish thing where we're like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, I'm good at that. Like, whatever. And then with the more challenging stuff, you have to read, you know, it's not personal. People are actually trying to help and build you. And when you when you remove yourself from it in a way, which sounds a bit odd because it is about you. But when you remove yourself, 
and you read it more, you know, with, with a different mindset and different perspective, you can learn so much from it. And it's an incredibly powerful thing to do. And I definitely think it's a great recommendation. Anybody who's either struggling with their career or doing really well in their career, both of them are, are very important. And the second thing about a core marketing belief is um, I'm going to call it, a label it so people can kind of get their heads around. It's called Turning Pro. And there's a book by Stephen Pressfield called Turning Pro. And uh, it's, it's an amazing book. Everybody here should buy Every book by Stephen Pressfield are very easy to read, very straight to the point. And so I, I've called it out. And um, it's, 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 first of all, when somebody says, if I say, somebody asks me what Connor Byrne is like, and I say, oh man, he's a real pro. We all know what that means, but we don't articulate what that means. So what does pro mean? So I've got it written down and I've been inspired by Stephen Pressfield on this. Uh, so I'm willing to learn and constantly improve. I know what I don't know. I examine the sources of information that I've used to form my opinions. I know my own personal cognitive biases. I am not my customer. I am totally objective and I'm obsessed with understanding other people. And that to me is the turning pro in a marketing context. So you, you know what you stand for and who you are and what you're going to do. Uh, I mean, underpinned all of that is you're always going to be a professional and do a professional job, yeah. but that's how you become a professional do a professional job that's incredible i i I just think that's a i hadn't heard that put together like that before i've heard all those kind of principles and and i that that is a great way of articulating that so definitely recommend people read that book and funny as you talked there one of the things that struck me is I, i was part of a career fair in in indeed yesterday talking about people you know who may want to move into a role in marketing from different functions and one of you know one of the questions like what would we need and I said curiosity. Mm, and, yeah, and, right. and what you talked about there was like curiosity seemed to be the a central tenant to that. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, curiosity and inquisitiveness. Um, and, and, you know, you're probably familiar, your audience, I'm sure, is very familiar with Carol Dweck's book around fixed and growth mindset. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, uh, uh, the, the dystopian hellhole that is Twitter, I'm <laughs> still a bit of time on it. And you know, essentially, if I could reflect what I see there all the time is fixed mindset, um, a, a personal, not, people not aware of their own personal biases and never willing to learn and constantly improve or admit they don't know what they don't know. And so it's a very interesting lens to look at things. I listen, if I'm a pro, how am I going to ch- show up in the world? Yeah. Curiosity, I think, is the underpinning point on that. Absolutely. And I think in marketing, if you don't, the moment you think you know it all, leave (laughs) i I think not that it's game over but like just because you've lost the interest because it's all about it's so much about people and understanding people and the insights that are going to get you to great work whether that is a phenomenal email or a phenomenal 60 second tv ad if they exist anymore um but you know like that's you're only going to get there by you know understanding people and different cultures and the worlds that they live in versus your world and and your bubble. Like we recently did some work for for India, right? And there's a group of us. And thankfully, we have a team in India because otherwise, it's going to be me, another guy in Dublin, Owen Murphy, a couple of people in the US trying to figure out what. Ad, so I know the principles of advertising, right? I can I can do that bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know what advertising is going to work in India because I'm not. 
there. And I, I just think that's that's hugely powerful and kind of mm, understanding uh, culture. Well, I, aside from, uh, I'm going to tell you about my third uh, principle in a second, but uh, as a sidebar for our audience here, depending on the age you're in, but uh, what I would encourage you to do is to live for an extended period of time outside of your home country. Uh, and I'm, 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 if you're, say, um, English, live, you know, uh, sorry, from Great Britain, live outside um, for an extended period of time, say two years. If you're from Ireland, live outside Ireland for an extended period of time for two years. Ideally, if you can, in a non-English speaking place, but that kind of doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Basically, what you will find uh, is that there is a whole different way of thinking about the world that is completely different to yours. And then that thing that you thought was right all along turns out to be kind of wrong. It's, 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 it's wrong. It's just there's different ways to live a life and there's different ways to think about the world. And they're all equally valid. Yeah. And um, that's why for, I'd love to go spend some time in, say, uh, India living there because, you know, ostensibly English speaking for part of what they do, you know, sophisticated culture, old culture. But I guarantee their whole frame of reference of how to think about the world is very different and it's still successful. So this is the kind of key point. But the third um, kind of core marketing belief is what I call opportunity thinking. And um, opportunity thinking is somewhere within it. There's a core of curiosity, but it's a little bit more like more than this. Um, we we sort of see, you know, what's opportunity? Well, the definition is it's a, let me read it formally, a time or set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. And the synonym is chance, lucky chance, good time. And we seem to think the world is around luck for certain people and so on. But there is this element of opportunity thinking that means that you can get, if you will, luck to come to you. And because Opportunity seems like it's something that's out there. You know, Connor, I'm just not getting the opportunities I want. And whereas maybe the opportunity is the thing that's going on in your mind, because it's, 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 it, you know, sure, opportunity is timing, but how, how, how come you're in the right place at the right time? Well, cause you recognized ages ago that you needed to be in the right place at the right time. You needed to show up. Mm. You need to turn up the do's that are out there at the events. And you need to talk to people. Now, a lot of people may be listening saying, Colin, are you talking about networking where I walk up and go, hi, Connor. Hi. Hi. Yes. Great. No, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about opportunity thinking goes, I'm not going to sit at home and watch another episode of Easter Enders. I'm going to get out and about and talk to people. Yeah. I'm going to volunteer to go and speak at the event. I've run, uh, created and uh, founded the largest yeah. marketing called DMX Dublin. And some people, we have to beg to speak at it. And others are like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. No problem. You have to be the person who goes, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. No problem. Not like, well, I don't know. Maybe that's opportunity thinking. Uh, so, uh, and in fact, I'll, I'll wrap up the opportunity thinking point with a quote from Taleb, Nicholas Nassim Taleb. And he says, I, I say this to younger marketers. So seize any opportunity that looks like opportunity. They are rare, much rarer than you think. Many people don't realize they're getting a lucky break when they get it. So if a big publisher or a big art dealer or a movie exec, or in our case, a very famous marketer, um, suggests an appointment to cancel anything you've planned. You may not see such a window open up again. And boy, is that true. Uh, when people look at me and go, what, I've got to get on a flight to New York and go meet somebody and then come back? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. 
Yeah, and sometimes it's, you, it's pushing, like that will push you outside of a comfort zone and the, yep. you know, and that's maybe the moment where you have to go, like your instinct says no, and it's like, okay, there's something in my instinct that's saying no, that means this may be exactly the right thing that yeah, I need I, to I, do. Absolutely spot on. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like when you feel the uh, urge to stay on the sofa, that's the thing. Uh, Stephen Pressfield, uh, the, the, the writer of uh, Turning Pro, he has a name for this thing. It's in his book called The War of Art, and it's called The Resistance. And he said, if in doubt, it's resistance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and resistance is the thing that sabotages you, stops you getting up off the sofa and going to that event. And by the way, it sounds like I'm talking to people as though I've overcome all this. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is like every day. And he said, yeah. you fight the resistance every day. I, I, I got stuff, I think even as recently as last week, I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And it's like, oh, no, that's, that's opportunity thinking. What am I thinking of? You know? Yeah. And I, like, it's, it's about, it's like, what way can I put it? Connor doesn't get up in the morning and says, I had a shower yesterday, so I'm not having a shower today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, opportunity. He definitely be- doesn't, just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. You know, but, you know, we, we have to have this opportunity thinking. We have to develop it, as I say, at its kernel. It's, it's curiosity. Yeah. And I, another thing that's kind of striking me, and, and I heard our our chief people officer, Priscilla Corentin, talked about this recently. She said she has, she has this group of people that she calls her board of directors, right? And a group, kind of back to the previous one, but a group of people that you trust and even having those people around you. And when you have that moment, you know, of, you know, pushing you outside your comfort zone, having those people that you can turn to and say, there's something about this, like, a, you know, and, and getting them to kind of, you know, either tell you, actually that's a disastrous idea or hopefully telling you that this is the right thing to do and and building you up because you know we all have self-doubt like we're it's just built into us connor i have no self-doubt whatsoever (laughs) 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 no uh, that is like (laughs) anybody who pervades this attitude of having no doubt then there's something wrong with them that's that's like that's just it's just not like that actually i'm gonna but in here with another kind of framing on this one here, which is something I was in denial about for a long time. And what you just encapsulated there is what I call being coachable. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, well, I, I use the example of my brother-in-law as a performance coach and he does, um, uh, you know, high performance athletes as in, you know, long distance cyclists. Okay. He's a long distance cyclist himself, uh, rally drivers, um, you name it. Uh, Olympic ch- boxers and all this sort of stuff, and he and he says not all coaching works because it's a two sided relationship. Obviously, you need the coach, but you also need to be coachable. And the harsh reality is that many people don't want changing, and they want a coach to tell them everything's fine as they are, or to agree. Yeah. And I looked at that and went and said, uh, you know, hmm, I think when I was at the bottom of the sine waves in my career. That was what I was like. I wasn't really coachable. I talked a big game, but I wasn't coachable. That's interesting. And is that because actually one of the things I was thinking, you know, when you started talking about this um, kind of MO and I, I wondered how when you are at those moments where you're kind of at the lower end of the, the trough, so to speak, where, and you know, I've been there as well. And it's very difficult to get yourself out of that because, you know, you take it personally. So, you know, if anyone's listening in today that maybe in that moment where, you know, this has happened to them, how, what advice would you give them to kind of, you know, 
not lift themselves out of, but start thinking about how can I be more coachable? How can I look at who I am and what I what I kind of stand for and believe? Um, if I was to go back, talk to myself when I was in these situations, um, the first thing I would do would say, go to the doctor, uh, make an appointment uh, and get an operation to take your head out of your ass. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because mostly it is, and I'm I'm obviously being glib. I'm not uh, not denying the seriousness of the situation, um, but a, a, a lot of it is about being in your head. It's like this opportunity thinking. Uh, it's it's being in your head, and you know, uh, there's a lot of c- catastrophizing and what have you. Okay, particularly in, in one particular case where. Uh, I was a year where I couldn't really uh, do anything because it was in the middle of an MBA. And I'd, the guys who were supposed to fund my MBA pulled out of Ireland in six weeks into the MBA. So I was broke and working full time. Uh, sorry, I sorry, broke and doing an MBA, which meant I was completely unemployable. And, uh, you know, there were some uh, very difficult periods in that. And what happens is you have to sort of... Um, obviously you're going up and down even on a day-to-day basis, but you have to have this, as as you call it, a core marketing belief. I would even go further and say core beliefs around you can get out to the other side mm. and that good stuff will happen. And there's this like the only woo-woo moment I have in my life is uh, when I say to people is, is like, there's kind of like a little test given you. And the test is, Connor, are you, uh, you know, woman enough, are you man enough, whatever phrase you want to call that, to stick it through. Because if you stick it through, you can come out the other side and actually you end up being in a better situation. So let me explain that in a context. So I was really down to, you know, my last few um, shillings, not that the shillings are around anymore, but you get my point. Yeah. And these folks offered me this job. And it was just, I was like, okay, I really need this. But the, by a sort of I just don't trust this. Is no, it's not stacking up. It's not right. stacking up. I don't really, you can call it gut. You can do call it anything. And I went and said, no. And this is when I really needed it. And then I kind of, I started noticing this over the years again. It's like you've put on a little test drive. And if you pass the test drive, which includes saying no to things that sound like the ideal opportunity, then you actually will get what you actually really need, not necessarily what you want. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, look, I've had very similar experiences. My daughter's coming on 12 in a, in a few weeks. And just before she was born, the employer I had similarly pulled out of Ireland. And yeah. So you're left with nothing. And you're like, oh my God, like, you know, going to be a dad, like all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's terrifying, but I think you're terrifying. right. It's, you have to then, like, you have to pick yourself up, which is very difficult to do, but you have to then find that self-belief that, you know, I think, again, as Irish people, we were told not to have because, you know, don't be cocky. Um, and I think you're right on opportunities and, and being able to say no, exactly, well, not exactly, but quite similar. I had two opportunities that came to me then and I'd accepted one and was ready to take that path. And then the second opportunity came to me that brought me more on the path that I'm on now. And I look back and go, I'm so glad it was part of it was a horrible experience and i'll get onto that about lead leaders and leadership um, yeah. but but it, it brought me on a path of you know of where i am today so it's really you know it is interesting so yeah anyone who's kind of in that moment it it's it's difficult but i think you're right it is you know it, 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 it it's very difficult and in, in one thing again it's just a little bit of philosophy for me on the the reason i'm talking to you today connor is stemming there's a direct line from that experience which is i definitely don't want anybody ever to go through that 
Like yeah. I do not want people to go through that. And I'm very specific about this. So when I'm talking about this kind of marketing career is thinking, my heart is in this point of do not go through what happened to me and here's what to do. And actually that, that leads us to the point we were touching on earlier. Um, there's this concept called vertical development. Yeah. And um, it's, it's a bit, it's a fancy, fancy name for um, stuff that Robert Keegan and various others have done. Um, Cause this will lead us into the, the leadership point you were trying to make there a minute ago as well. Um, um, it's a very interesting thing. It comes uh, originally around uh, the theory of adult development. And um, I, for a long time, I, you know, we're kind of told that people don't really change that much and um, we're, we're kind of stuck the way we are. But all the theory around adult development now goes and says that's completely untrue. And um, they, there are various phases we go through uh, as adults and they're always kind of mapped, tied in with a, transformation piece and that's why they call it roughly vertical development it, it, they don't mean in a sort of hierarchical context they yeah. just mean a transformation into the next phase and in fact um covid was the perfect example of a transformational phase which you know uh, you hear a lot of people about saying i don't want to do this stuff anymore it forced the transformational thinking on them so there's this idea called vertical development i would encourage people to kind of nose a bit around it because you'll start seeing there's another, there's always another level of development, but to get to the next level, you have to self transform. And there's a few tools around that. It's a very interesting, um, a very interesting. Uh, I'll tell you of a, a thing to read on this if I can find the name of it while, while we're doing the podcast. Yeah, great, great. I, and I think that, yeah, that idea of kind of self transform. And, and I think, you know, marketing does move at the speed of light as well. And so if you are, you know, I guess, Sitting, sitting back. And one of the things we talked, we touched on it a bit, but I, I'm kind of fascinated by people who have strong views. And I see it in kind of the metaverse where, yeah. you know, people are like, Oh, you know, no, it's, you know, ignore it. It's an absolute, you know, it's a joke. It's a shambles. I don't know enough about it to make any sort of a call on that. Right. I don't know enough about it. So I'm curious enough to try dig into it and understand it so that I can at least have some kind of informed, informed decision. And what's, uh, what's the downside? Like, that's what I say. Yes. Yes. What's the downside? Yeah. I, I love exactly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly that. Exactly that. And I do find it. And look, I think some people are purposefully being provocative around it, you know, um, I and, can't find it hard to believe on social media. Uh, yeah. yeah. Would never have it, would it? <laughs> um, I, we, I touched on it there and I'd love to ask you kind of about marketing leaders. Um, you, you've had an opportunity to work in, you know, a number of large organizations, um, into marketing leaders and then being a marketing leader. From the marketing leaders you worked with, were there any that you felt were, you know, just exceptional and what was it about them that really kind of drew you to work with them? Um, that is a good question because I, I have a fairly jaundiced view of leadership. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 having spent remortgage my house to go and do an MBA. And obviously in the MBA, there's a lot of study around leadership. And my sort of take on for our audience, most leadership books are not worth reading because they're essentially, I'll summarize all leadership books for you. They are basically, <laughs> I did this thing. I'm a great lad or I'm a great woman. You might be able to learn a few things from this. Now I'm heading off into the sunset with my book deal. Good luck. 
that is essentially most leadership books. Okay. And I've saved you a lot of time and money. I was going to say, I I was going to let people know that there is about 27 bookshelves behind behind (laughs) Colin (laughs) full of leadership books. (laughs) So he's talking from a place of knowledge. (laughs) And, uh, so when what, what and the second part of uh, of of that is there's a, also a sort of meme out there if you will around leadership of um well authentic yeah being authentic and you're bringing your best self to work and oh yeah and I'm like wow okay you really are completely delusional <laughs> because in in a, in a work environment there's a game small game going on uh, it's 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 game of uh, p- people interacting with each other, and in any form of interaction, there's politics. And um, the most important thing that um, uh, people who are in senior roles in marketing they understand politics, they understand human nature. They could be useless at marketing. Ideally, they're great in marketing as well. And so I say to people, with the people I'm looking for, people who've got, they do actually have authenticity, and I mean that they what that means they know who they are mm-hmm. they know what they're good at they know what they're not good at so I'm, I'm happy with that part of authenticity um secondly that they are not threatened by other people but sadly because the world's full of politics people are threatened by other people so somebody who's not threatened is good leaders of have worked for and the third one is they are persuasive and i mean persuasive in the nice sense um of um to get things done in an organization, you need to win people over. Mm-hmm. And so if you're coming to Connor Byrne, my marketing director boss, CMO boss, and I say, Connor, I got this great idea. They've got to be, have an ability to sell that internally as well. So I see the work, the lens of, of, of leadership vastly different to most people because the stuff that's written is 90% guff and a waste of time. Should you know who you are? Yeah, of course you should. Should you be a nice person? Yeah, sure you would. Yeah, I, we'd love all that. I'd, I'd also like to be six foot four and have a full head of hair and look like Brad Pitt. There's a lot of things I would like, yeah, but I live in the real world. So what's the real world? The real world has got politics. The real world requires precision. And the real world is interested in power. Right. Interesting. Interesting. It was, some of that that you've talked about actually is um, resonates with some of the th- things that Jan Gooding spoke to me about in in just a previous podcast gone by and she talked about her role in in BT and you know what she learned about that was needing to persuade people like so it was like who are the people that you need to get to do the thing that you need to get done and that's a huge thing in marketing I think people can often struggle with is actually that thing of there's a there's a larger group of people that have to be influenced and have a stake in marketing, maybe than in any other function. I could be wrong, um, but it certainly feels like there's a lot of people that that care about what marketing does, what it looks like, how it shows up, and and so being able to navigate that is a real skill that you have to learn. Well, uh, the the, the cliché phrases everybody's mar- everybody's a marketing genius. Hey, I saw an ad on the telly today. Oh, yeah. Well, therefore, I'm a marketing genius. <laughs> um, well, you're right. So if we look at the major divisions in a company, um, you know, operations, finance, operations, manufacturing, finance, maybe customer service, um, uh, HR, um, whatever the uh, divisions of the company, um, 
the the one that requires the most buy-in um, is typically the marketing organization because everybody's a marketing genius. Um, in fact, I, I have a sort of a thing I did at a spoke at a conference a few weeks ago, and I, I may go down this route again because it could be fun. But there's the four P's of marketing. We all know the four P's of marketing. Okay, never never mess with the four P's of marketing. But you've heard it today. Collins just announced the other three P's that matter. The seven P's of marketing. <laughs> and you've heard it today announce it. You know, live stream. <laughs> um, and the three P's are politics, power, and persuasion. Mm-hmm. So anybody here listening who's a marketing director, uh, sorry, as far as marketing director, they'll find that they don't do that much marketing work. They're not, they're empowering others to do some marketing work. I, I was listening to Mark Evans, the CMO of Direct Line. It's just a fantastic yeah. person. I, I, just a great guy, classic person, a real person who wants other people to approve. And he said, my role is to get out of people's way. He said, I, I, like, even when he was doing the Winston Wolf campaigns, he wasn't on the set, you know, engaging with Harvey Keitel. No, he, he was barely there. Yeah. He was there to smooth, smooth the way. So as a marketing leader, or you want to be a marketing leader, the technical bits kind of go by the wayside. Even the leadership bits can be summarized as, do you understand persuasion? Do you understand politics and do you understand power? Because we don't like to talk about power, but it is part of the game. Do you think your CFO is a friend of yours? No, he is playing politics and power with you as well. I was going to say that power is a dirty word. Yeah. Politics less so, which is interesting. But um, but people, I, I imagine people listening to this go, ooh, power. I don't like the sound yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well, so I would encourage the audience to look up a guy called Jeffrey Pfeffer. He is the one of the best uh, professors in Harvard. And, um, and he's a book called Power, Why Some People Have It and Why Others Do Not. Let's look at one or two chapter titles. It Takes More Than Performance. The Personal Qualities That Bring Influence. Getting in means standing out and breaking some rules. Now, this is based on research, based on actual stuff, not like opinions. And uh, I, I say P with a small power. Yeah. Because what we think immediately is Donald Trump running around. Reality is any, 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 any dynamic where there's any situation where there's um, humans involved has a different dynamic. And part of it is about power with a small P, which is to get some of your stuff persuaded and things out in the market. You might need a little bit of power. Yeah. So I like to bring, unpack these things for people because they're afraid and they're told by reading the media, you can't discuss power. And what I will tell you, if you are a very naive person and you don't know this, but I'm sure none of your listeners are that naive. How do you think these CEOs got to the top of their business? Is it because they're a nice person or is it because they're interested in power? That's not a judgment. Yeah. It's reality. Like it's not good or bad. I, I think that's the problem with it. It's seen as a bad word, like and I, you know. And I think that's and it's it's about shifting it. And I, you know, I think every organization see it. Sometimes you there's blocks to things, and you actually have to bring somebody else in who has a bit more sway, you know, and that's power, um, to get something over the line, and and that's okay. I think we all we all do it and and need to do it, um, and that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. We talked about leadership and. Uh, you know, for years, I'm talking like over a 10 year period, I've been thinking about leadership and I've got a couple of things for your, for, for your listeners. Um, but one of the, one of the things that really blew me away a couple of years ago was, um, uh, a book called The Contrarian's Guide to Leadership. 
And a guy called Steve Sample, who is not only a, uh, a person who's done the real world, but he's also uh, a professor in UCLA. And uh, it is absolutely savage to read this book um, because he's just calling it out. He says, like, you will read all this nicey, nicey stuff out there. And he says, the key is to break free, if only fleetingly, from the bonds of conventional thinking so as to bring out your natural creativity and intellectual independence to the fore. Yeah. And we're like, okay, okay, now we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. So I would encourage people here to just like we're talking about with our opportunity thinking and our coachability thing earlier is to say, hmm. And also one of our turning pro things, which is I know uh, where my influences are coming from. And if you have a reaction to the word power after hearing me say it here, or you have a reaction to the word leadership that is around fluffy, happy, clappy, you know, uh, let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. I would encourage you to read The Contrarian's Guide to Leadership by Steve Sample. Brilliant. Great, great advice. And I think just on the, the topic of, of leadership, then, as I, I mentioned, you've gone into some key yeah. leadership roles in organizations. Um, where, as you reflect on that, were there any kind of mistakes that you made as a leader during those times? Uh, ooh, oh, I, I don't think the podcast is long enough. For this. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 well, I, I'll tell you, my very first leadership role, I was marketing manager for Thomas Cook at age 27. And uh, so with a team, a budget and everything, and I report directly to the chief exec. And uh, mistakes I made, I wouldn't even know where to start. Okay, <laughs> uh, But one of them was I didn't understand politics power and persuasion. Uh, And I really genuinely said this. I was too young. I I really believe that if you do the right things, things will happen. And that's not quite true. You've got to have a plan to go and get things through a management team. And you can't just base your world on enthusiasm and doing the right thing. Okay, so that was one sort of grievous error that I made, um, number one. Number two is I have had people who I kind of possibly stuck with too long. Okay. some people are just not batteries included people mm. and eventually you take up too much time with them and it drags you down too much. So I actually kind of have to go and say there are times where I just kept people on too long and I should have moved them on to different pastures very quickly, just simply because I actually just dragged me down as well, you know? And and sorry, potentially to their benefit also, like, you know, and uh, you know, yeah. that, that actually they're unhappy, you're unhappy, you know, it just may not work. And that happens in, in life. Like, and then you, you know, I've seen that where people have gone on to other roles and just flourished and like, wow, that's amazing. Cause it just wasn't yeah. right. And I think as a leader, well, that's a difficult well, one. I've worked in startups and I've worked in, um, you know, big old company, like Thomas Cook was 160 years old and a very famous brand. I also worked in startups that were like three years old and not everybody can fit into a startup because yeah. what happens with a fast growing, fast moving startup is, and, and this is particularly for our listenership today, moving from a very large company to a small company is incredibly challenging and you have to kind of uh, have a different frame of reference. The thing you thought was your amazing plan last week turns out to be thrown out. Yeah. You have to do something new. And that is very difficult for people who are used to structured environments. And as a result, I've had to actually move people on because they were so used to structured environments. And I'd be saying, well, I know that was a great idea last week. It's now Turkey this week. So we've got to do something else. And they would take it personally. I was like, well, it's not. It's just the realm we're in. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It is very different. And, you know, I, I'm. I mean, indeed, when I joined 
I'm there seven years, but when I joined seven years ago, it was a very different place to what it is now. You know, there was more, it wasn't a startup, but there was that more of a mentality and it's grown and evolved. And it's fascinating when I look at the two indeeds almost, I'm, I'm that they're very different places that require very different things now. Um, which is, you know, involves change and change management. I think that's, that's a key thing for leaders as well. I think is being able to navigate change and, and I guess. Well, it's actually, there's two elements of change there now that you, you just kind of struck a chord with, with me there. Um, I, I was doing this uh, keynote yesterday and the company wants to transform to a new business model and move from a sort of one-off sale to a sort of SaaS ongoing relationship model. And I was kind of talking through some of the experiences that I, both I have and I, I've seen them elsewhere. And the bit that people kind of, kind of don't realize but there are these very interesting change models out there and as you get to be a leader you 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 that that you should know these change models my favorite one is john cotter k-o-t-t-e or uh is eight steps uh, to change i've actually used it in an organization and what you find in most organizations they don't know these change models there's also Noel teachy's freeze unfreeze and a few others like that my favorite one is the um cotter's one because it's easy to follow and you can kind of recognize where you are in the steps but that's what i call external change management and transformation but then there's what i call um internal change management and the 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 reference that i was talking earlier is a a paper on harvard business review called um the seven transformations of leadership so it's the seven transformations of leadership by david rook or o-o-k-e okay and uh, he talks about uh, it's very easy to read uh, and, and and so very, very straightforward to read. But what you start reading it, you're like, oh, okay. The seven different types of leadership are the things we move through. So I just talked about me when I was 27 years old. Well, I was one of these groups in in in, in Rook's way of looking at things. I was ruled by what, what's called an expert approach. I wanted to be uh, ruled by logic and expertise, and this is the rational thing to do. But that really was only suited to being sort of an individual contributor. And then I kind of moved on to the next level, which was as an achiever. I wanted to get stuff done, you know, right. and I was a goal. But the, these steps, and he, he calls them out as expert, achiever, individualist, and so on, that essentially you have to self-transform into each of these individual steps. That's why he calls it a vertical development. And ultimately, what you want to be effective as a transformation leader, he calls that role a strategist, not strategy as in advertising, but he said it generates organizational and personal transformations. And uh, they can do things for the short and long term. That's a very rare person who can do that. Mm. But it's interesting to observe it and know, as I say, by reading the seven transformations of leadership, because you'll see yourself in them. That's that's definitely what I've written down to, to follow up in. Speaking of change, and, and as we get towards the end, Colin, we are, I, we've just come out of a huge period of change and we're about, to, we're going into another one, right? Like, we're, you know, it's uncertainty to uncertainty and a lot of marketing leaders um, are are now struggling with like planning for next year. They're probably deep in planning and, you know, this, this uh, when this is live, they may have done their planning. But, you know, we're going into a world where I think marketing budgets will be tighter. Uh, inf- even if they're not tighter, the inflation is going to make things just more expensive. And um, we're seeing media inflation. Any advice you'd have for people who are grappling with this and trying to figure out how they how they grow and grow their 
their brand and their their business through marketing in, in this difficult period? There is a big conversation around marketing around um, how one should continue spending through uh, any downturn because that will you'll come out the far side and all the data says that one should do so. However, I believe that is slightly misleading and can get you into some serious trouble if you walk around the office saying that. Now, let me try and explain. A leader in any organization, if you sit on management teams, senior management teams like I have, um, what's the one of the tasks of a senior management team is not about your own particular area of the business. As you sit around as a team of five, six, seven of you talking about the business, you don't go and talk about, well, here's what's important for marketing. No, you focus, first of all, on risk. Okay, The game you're involved when you're running a business is one of them is risk management. And risk management has a, a number of lenses to think it through. So there's financial risk, there's, there's you know, there's reputational risk, there's uh, financial, uh, sorry, um, personnel, HR related risk. And one of those other risks is marketing. Mm. So this meme, if you will, of spending more money, um, you have to, as a leader, you have to see that within the lens of what's the best for the business. And it may not be to do so. And yes, you may be leaving money on the table. Yes, it may be difficult. But the reality is many businesses might not know how much money and cash they have in the bank to pay for the um, power bill next March. Mm -hmm. And so the first frame I would say to folks here is frame your budget and your thinking and your planning in the realm of, uh, in in the frame of um, risk and be able to speak the language of risk to the management team. The second thing then is to say, you know, we are in, if you will, a, it's okay to be thinking short term. Yes, I know it builds brands long term and all the rest, but it's okay to be thinking short term in a short term context, which is the recession could last a year, the recession could last six months, we don't know. Because our consumer is thinking only short term. Our consumer is not lying awake at night thinking about our brand and our consumer is penny pinching Mm-hmm. And you have to. So guess what? Promotional stuff will work better. Yeah. Um, lower funnel stuff will work better. And maybe that is what it takes. So what I would say to people is the second part of this is you've got to do what it takes within the context of risk to the business. Now, I don't know what sort of people listen to the podcast, but let's call it 90-10 to make it easy for ourselves. That 10% of us are working for big companies that are super well-funded, have lots of cash in the bank. And that's not, you know, that's that's not, but 90% of people, uh, if that gets higher, 90% of people work for smaller businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, if in here in Ireland, they're very small businesses, but in, in the UK and the US, a small business is coming with 250 people to 500 people, turning over 10 million plus. Um, to go into the owners of these businesses and say, we need to continue spending money is 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 not exactly showing you understand risk. So now I say straight up, I say, focus on lower funnel stuff, understand where your consumer's pain is and see what you can do that creates value for both you and them. A lot of organizations are focused on value extraction. The more you can focus on in 2023 on value creation for your customers, I think you will get what you need um, in terms of revenue rather than value extraction. 
That's that's great. I, I think you know key there, like understand the business, understand the customer. Like if you can start to do that, then you know being mindful. It was funny when you started talking about that. I had this vision of marketing, you know, as Wolf of Wall Street going going around, going, let's spend all the money. Like, but that and that can be, it, it can be a such you know to the detriment of marketing when when we we don't we're not thinking about that the risk understand the business understand the consumer and actually when i spoke to damien Tavani for for this podcast he said like we have we own actually johnny cal said the same we own the insights yeah. like we own that and that sits with marketing so it's such a powerful place to be where we can actually go in to those senior leadership meetings and say this is what we know because we're talking to customers we're seeing it firsthand and that that's incredible and um, yeah Damien has this phrase, by the way, which the audience, if he didn't use on the podcast, he used it with me recently. And it's like, the phrase is so simple. Pattern recognition. Yeah. Like, That's what I'm good at. And uh, and so you, uh, as the marketer, you've got the connection to the audience, to the customer, to the shopper. And your role is to pattern recognize so that you can go into the thing and say, listen, here's what they're saying. Here's what that means. Because you're a pattern recognizer. Yeah. Brilliant. No, completely agree. The The last thing I was just going to ask you to touch on before we finish up was I heard you talk about the, the concept of everything matters. And I really liked that. Could you just explain what you mean by everything matters? As I'm getting slightly older, um, what I realize is that the, the process um, of uh, how you think about the world, turning pro, how you do your job, um, your core marketing beliefs, they all have to be integrated. You don't really, if you're a serious marketer, your job isn't some separate aspect of what you do. You have to integrate it into your overall thing. So everything matters because once you understand that everything matters, then your life runs a lot more smoothly. I would have had a resistance to that. I would have gone and said, there's this thing I do in my nine to five and then you know, that's all this thing. And I do that. And I would cause this sort of massive sort of d- d- dissension in my personal ranks, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, so everything matters. And so everything matters. What you're doing as a young marketing person, are you creating the best possible campaign that will do the best possible thing? Because it doesn't matter that your boss, boss is maybe not that good or you, you don't really respect or whatever your particular thing is. Mm. No, no, you're going to deliver the best possible thing all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, as you get older, you want to be the best possible leader rather than be some random punter who doesn't care about their staff. I, I've got a very specific thing. I, I, people I hired even 25 years ago are still friends of mine. Mm. They've got to have great careers. I, I take a personal interest in making sure I can ch- transform people's lives through hiring them. Um, so that's why I say everything matters. It's not just some random series of events. And then finally, integration with the rest of your life. So luckily, we're curious, as we said at the outset. Yeah. Well, being curious means you understand leadership and you understand your own style of leadership. And then you understand politics, power and persuasion. It all comes together in one big sort of wheel, if you will. And so that's why everything matters. Brilliant. And and people need to take time to figure that out. And, you know, I yeah. think that is that is key. Colin, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with me today. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Lots of fun. Uh, I wish all the best to your audience as well. I hope you enjoyed that episode and I think for anyone at any stage in their career, hearing what Colm has discovered on his journey can hopefully help you navigate your personal path. What I found fascinating about this episode, apart from how many books Colm has read, 
is how the theme of curiosity for marketers came through again as something that is really important. Yeah, it clearly goes alongside lots of other attributes, but it's a key part of the makeup of marketers I'm meeting on this podcast. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Marketing. If you did enjoy, please do share, add comments, send your feedback, follow us on Twitter, that's underscore marketing. And if you or someone you know would be a great guest for the podcast, get in touch and I will add the email address in the show description. So for me, Connor Byrne, until the next episode, thanks for listening.